So if you're a dad, um, I do wish you a happy Father's Day, and uh, my thoughts will be aimed directly at dads, men today. Women, you're welcome to stay with us during this time. We're going to dismiss our children right now into children's ministry, so God bless you as you go. I appreciate our children's ministry workers uh, helping you as parents, moms and dad, disciple your children. And baby Brinley was born early this morning. Daniel and Alyssa, uh, you know, Alyssa's been pregnant. You all knew that because she's been up here in front of you. They had their baby this morning. Ladies, I don't know how big it was. I don't know how long it was. I don't even know the middle name. It was Brinley, and she's well, and mom is well, and we'll look forward to meeting her soon. Yeah, we're excited about that. Yes, it really is a Father's Day because God had a really good plan, right, for a mom and a dad to lead a family. And of course, uh, that plan, that purpose, that design, it's always from attack. We can look scripturally, that attack began in Genesis 3 in the garden to try to break down God's plan for the family. On Mother's Day, we spent some time talking about the important roles of moms, um, and from what I've heard, I avoided most of the emotional landmines, so thank you for praying for me as we went through that. So now it's Father's Day, there are no emotional landmines because we have no emotions. So that's that's what's really freeing for me as I preach this sermon. Live with it, guys. I'm just going to say it the way it is. Uh, One little boy defined Father's Day best when he said, Father's Day was just like Mother's Day. The only difference is that you don't spend as much money on the gift. (laughs) That is actually true. I researched it. It's actually true. uh, Some of you remember back when we had uh, long-distance phone calls, you know. Some of you, put your hands up. Am I talking to anybody? Okay. So Mother's Day was the day when most long-distance calls were made. Father's Day was the day that the most long-distance collect calls were made. (laughs) Now, some of you don't even know what a collect call was, um, but that's the way it worked out. Dads, on Mother's Day, we gave the moms a rose. Today, we have a pepperoni stick for you as you go out. It's going to be in a little basket. We thought we ordered the ones that were individually wrapped, but they're not individually wrapped. They're just in a basket, so don't handle them all, and you like, pick the one you want. Just reach in and pick one out, and you'll be fine. All right. All right, let's get started. Some of you know that old Humpty Dumpty uh, rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Those two lines... uh, as I thought about those, it kind of captures fatherhood in 2023. At one time, dads were on a wall, and they were recognized, and they had a purpose, and there was a, some, even a, um, even a status or recognition. He loved his family. His family loved him. He engaged his family. He provided for his family. He was there, and they'll somehow... He either fell or he got pushed off the wall. So now that position of fatherhood, it's not as clear, doesn't seem to be as secure or well-defined, and sadly, it's not a position that is really as much looked up to. 
Now, when dads fell or when dads were pushed off the wall, it's not really clear. Some people look back in our history as a country when um, families moved from the farms into the cities, everything changed for families. Some people look to the world wars when ladies were then in the workforce, and that changed. A lot of people look more recently to the 60s and that terrible cultural revolution that took place that decimated a lot of values and even family values. I don't know exactly when dads fell off the wall, but it has impacted our nation and I believe the world when that has happened. I have a book on my shelf. It's entitled Fatherless America, Confronting Our Most Urgent Social Problem. It's a dated book. It goes all the way back to 1995. Here is how the book begins. The United States is becoming increasingly fatherless society. A generation ago, an American child could reasonably expect to grow up with his or her father. Today, an American child can reasonably expect not to. Fatherlessness is now approaching a rough parody with fatherhood as a defining feature of American childhood. Tonight, 40% of American children will go to sleep in homes in which their fathers do not live. That was back in 1995. That stat has only increased. Later in the book, the author makes a very strong statement. It says, the most urgent domestic challenge facing the United States at the close of the 20th century is the recreation of fatherhood as a vital role for men. At stake is nothing less than the success of the American experiment. That's a pretty black and white statement. In large measure, I agree with that assessment. But what I don't agree with, I don't think we need to recreate fatherhood. We need to reclaim and rediscover God's intentions for fathers from the very beginning. It's not recreating something, it's rediscovering it. We have to help our dads understand their role, the important role they have given to them by God himself. Dads, we need to have, we have to kind of be able to put the pieces of fatherhood kind of in our minds in a way that they can be acted on and lived out. That's my goal today, to kind of put a four pieces into our minds as men, as fathers, so that we can live out the role that God has given to us. And to do that, I'm going to go to the book of Joshua. I'm going to look at a few words from a man that understand his role as a leader and understood his role, I believe, as the leader of his family as a father. He was a man greatly used by God to lead the Old Testament people of God. Joshua, you might know his story. The words we're going to look at today in Joshua chapter 24, just two verses, 14 and 15, that, those verses have a context. Here's the context in this chapter. 
Joshua, at the beginning of this chapter, begins giving a peop, the people of God a history of what God has done among them. He goes all the way back to Abraham, talks about the choosing of Abraham and those descendants. He gave them a history then from that point on all that God had done, how God rescued these people from Egypt, how God sustained them in the desert. Now, when he spoke these words, Moses had long since died, but Joshua was raised up to lead the people from the desert into the promised land that God had promised them. So these words we're going to look at in the moment, the people are in the land. Most of it has been secured. He's 110 years old, and he dies actually shortly after speaking these words. Here are the words I want to look at today. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord, serve Yahweh. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Four words, four ideas, four truths I want to pull out of that. Choice, example, responsibility, and determination. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this man, Joshua, you raised up, and you've recorded for us his exhortation to your people years and years ago. So we're going to look at those words again today, and they're an exhortation to your people today, particularly to the men today. So please, by your spirit, be the teacher that Jesus would be exalted and there would be transformation, even as we sang, that we would be more like our Savior today, in whose name we pray. Amen. Choice. Here's the first challenge. The first little piece of fatherhood we need to have click in our minds. We need to make a choice. I want you to notice that Joshua was very aware of the choice that the people had to make. Choose for yourselves today. What, what was the choice? They could make a choice to serve the gods that were back in Egypt, the gods that their fathers were exposed to, or they could choose to serve the gods of the people that were around them now. They had to make a choice. And of course, there was another choice. They could choose to serve Yahweh. They could choose to serve and worship Him. Now, God had made it really clear to the people what it meant to worship him. And, of course, it was very clear when Joshua spoke these words what it meant to worship those gods that were on the other side of the river, the gods of Egypt, you know, the sun god, the god of the Nile. All of those gods, all of those gods that God displayed were powerless through those plagues. They, they had an understanding how, how those gods were worshipped. And, and I believe they already knew 
in the land they were now in, how those people worshipped their gods. It was through sexual immorality, through child sacrifice, through pagan ritual. And he's saying you have to make a choice. There's no neutral ground. They had to worship. They had to serve something. Everybody does, and I think that's what he's pointing out. You, you can't be in this land and be neutral. You're going to have to make a choice who you're going to serve. So I believe the first piece to understanding our role and our position as fathers is to recognize that we personally have to make a choice who we're serving in our lives, who we're going to follow. We have to come to that point where in our minds and in our hearts it's very clear the choice that we've made. Now, just like in the time of Joshua, there are other gods around us today that we can choose to worship, and there are many. We can choose to serve the God of success and materialism. We can be in pursuit of that God through our jobs, trying to attain a status, trying to get stuff. And materialism is a very popular God in our culture today. It literally drives our country. Now, the envy and the greed that is kind of innately in us, I think, tends to drive us to this God. We could serve the God of health and youth looking good, being fit, and, and, you know, that's good. Here's just what we learned, that that God of health and youth, it kind of outpaces us, and yet still in our minds, we can be in pursuit of that. We can serve the God of education and intellect. We can lift up those who have great education and speak fluently or fluently and hang on to their words because they're well-educated. They have the degrees. We can worship the God of retirement, the God of security, and I would put in there the God of comfort. We can work really hard in our life to put away money so there's a point where we don't have to do anything in life. The sad part about that God is many people have been in pursuit of it and then they don't live long enough to even see it. We can worship the God of politics and power, fawning over politicians and, and putting our hope in political platforms, looking for politics and the power that comes through politics to do what only Jesus should do in our lives, and that's to drive us and to move us and to change us. We can worship the God of recreation, entertainment, and fun. We could literally invest thousands of dollars in toys for us to enjoy and have fun and get away, and then we end up spending hundreds and hundreds of hours because, of course, we invested thousands of dollars. So, of course, we have to spend the time to spend on the toys that we spent the money on. And when we do that and in pursuit of our hobbies, we end up getting to the end of that race and realize we've never invested anything in anything eternally. Now, here's what's really hard about all of those gods. You see, the gods and the idols of Joshua's time, they were 
They're very clear. And they were very wrong and evil. But all of these things, politics, recreation, retirement, security, comfort, they're not bad in and of themselves. That's what makes it so deceptively alluring. We can kind of do them, but then in the fog of life, what happens is they become much more important than they should be. Simply speaking, we must realize that when something takes the place that God should have in our lives, that something has become the idol that you are worshiping. An idol, what is it? It is anything that attracts your heart, your imagination, your passion more than God does. Anything that you look to to give you what only God can give you, can give you satisfaction or peace or hope or contentment. Whatever is in that place in our heart and our mind, that is literally the God that we worship. And we recognize because none of those gods, quote, gods are eternal, that we end up living a life that is only temporarily focused and not eternally focused. So dads, if we're going to put the pieces of fatherhood together in our minds, we must come to that place where we make a clear choice. Here's what I'm in pursuit of in my life. Here's who I'm serving in my life. Because that choice affects everything about us, and of course, it affects our children, right? The choice we make about who we're in pursuit of and what we're in pursuit of of life affects probably primarily our children. Now, here's the hard part about that. You, you can't serve many gods. You can't serve two gods. How many gods can you serve? Only one. That's what Jesus said, right? Jesus said that. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, fill in the blank, wealth or money or mammon, if you have the King James Version. Now, you could put anything in that blank, though, but I think what's interesting is Jesus puts wealth in there because here's the hard part of it. Usually our wealth, our money, follows what we're in, really in pursuit of, of life. We end up spending money on those things that we worship. We ended up investing in things that we are really in pursuit of. There was an old TV game show, Let's Make a Deal with Bob Barker, and he would tell them at the very end, some of you know this, you have to choose door number one, door number two, or door number three. They could only choose one. That was what was so exciting about that show, and I know many of you don't even recognize that. We can only choose one door, one God, one path, one pursuit. Because anything else then, Scripture says, we'll read it here in a moment, actually makes us an enemy of God. Look at what James says. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which he has made to dwell in us. God is jealous for us to pursue him. And it does not please him when we pursue anything else. So that's our first challenge. Men, dads, you have to make a choice. Joshua says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It has to be clear in your mind, in your heart. It has to be definitive. If it's fuzzy, then you've not chosen well. Second thing, example. We need to be an example. He says, but as for me, so Joshua not only challenges the people to make a choice, he makes a personal choice, and then he declares that publicly. This is what I am choosing. He says it publicly. Now please understand that once we make a choice, the greatest impact we can have then on others is the personal example of how we live out that choice. We can talk about our choice to serve God. We can talk about even a challenge to other people to serve God. But all of that talk, you've heard it says, talk is what? Talk is cheap. But personal example is priceless. It has been said the first great gift we can bestow on others is a good example. So dads, hear me now. Yes, our sons and daughters hear us every day. You may not think they're listening, but they're listening to what you say. They hear our exhortations to what they should do and what they shouldn't do. They hear our warnings. They hear our reminders. But what are they seeing in you? They hear us talk about commitment to God, but do they see you commit yourself to follow God? They hear us talk about service, even in the church or the community. Do they see you serving being a servant leader. They hear us talk about being people of integrity, being people of high standards, but what do they see in how we live our lives? They hear us even talk about eternity and all that awaits us and investing in those things that are eternal, but really what do they see us investing our lives in? What they see is most likely what they will do. You all know this, regardless of what we say. I found, a, I found a funny story about a man back in the Midwest, a terrible ice storm and snowstorm blanketed his city, and he opened his garage door, and the driveway is just coated with ice. We've been there before. We know that's right. So he had this great idea. He, his son's baseball bat was there, and he said, I'm just going to break up the ice with this bat, and then I can shovel it off. And he did that, but he got cold, so he went back inside to get warmed up before he was going to clear off the car. But several minutes later, his son had been outside, and he said, Dad, I got the ice off the car. Really, how did you do that? He says, the same way you did with the baseball bat. That's a silly illustration, but exactly how it works. That's how Dad did it. He used a bat. Yes, they see what we do. 
So Joshua said, as for me, I will serve the Lord. He made a personal commitment, followed it by a very public statement that was then very clear to everybody. Mark Twain said something interesting. He says, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Dads, be annoying to your kids. Be annoying so that when they leave, they think back on what you did, and it's just annoying to them. Because they want to do something different, but they can't because they saw you, and it's just annoying in their mind. They saw Dad do this. That must be the thing I should do. I appreciate the example the Apostle Paul gives as he leads his spiritual children. He tells them, follow me as I follow Christ. He said, I'm worthy of being followed. So we need to make a choice, and then we need to live out that choice in a way that it's an example. And then the next one is responsibility. And it's about taking responsibility. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the Jordan, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, Joseph took responsibility for his own choice But I want you to notice what he does. He takes responsibility for his house. He said, basically, I will serve the Lord and so will my family. Now, the the rest of you, he says, you're free to make whatever choice you want to make. But Joshua's taking responsibility for himself first and then for his family. Now, we don't know anything about his family. We don't know who he was married to, how many children he had. I found it interesting that the rabbinic tradition, Jewish tradition, says he married Rahab. And then when Rahab became part of the covenant community there, they had a family. We don't know. We don't need to know. Here's what we need to know. He realized not only the influence in his house that he had, but he recognized the responsibility for his house that he had. You've probably heard at one time this phrase that the man is the head of the house. Actually, more specifically, it says this in the Bible, the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Guys, what does it mean to be the head of something? In this context, the head of the wife, or in the broader context, the head of the family. Now, most guys, not Maybe most, many guys say, well, that means we have the authority because we like authority. That means we have the power because we like power. But in this context, in Ephesians, it doesn't talk about authority and power. Not that in that position of head we don't have authority from God or even power to act in that position. But what it says is sacrifice. It says he takes responsibility, sacrificial responsibility for his wife. Yes, guys, we have certain rights as men. We have certain rights as husbands and fathers. But as godly men, we must not focus on our rights, 
but on our responsibilities. We must be men who are not afraid to take on responsibility. Responsibility for our homes, responsibility for our children. I think we've been strongly influenced by our culture to be more concerned about our rights than grabbing hold of our responsibilities. We are responsible as dads for our children. We need to take that responsibility seriously and then also sacrificially. There is no responsibility that we take that is not going to cost something. Remember when everything went south early on in the biblical story back in Genesis and Eve took the fruit, gave it to her husband Adam and he ate it and God steps in and you probably already know this, when he steps in he says, Adam, where are you? What does that mean? It means, Adam, you were responsible. I'm calling you out. And he does what we love to do. He blamed his wife. Guys, let's get be real practical. No doubt you've noticed that the government wants to take responsibility for your children. That seems real obvious right now in my mind in our culture. That exceeds the government's God-given role given by God. That exceeds it. That goes far beyond what God intended the government to do. Children are the responsibility of parents. And dads, you need to take that seriously. And you need to live that out sacrificially. That will be costly to you. Now, I say that because I found that responsibility, it's a heavy weight. I found in my life the tendency to want to pass on grabbing hold of responsibility because with responsibility, there's a risk. If I take hold of responsibility, I could screw it up. Maybe I'm going to do it wrong. Such is the risk when we take responsibility. We could do it wrong, but doesn't mean we don't grab hold of it anyway. Responsibility, taking action, stepping into it, engaging it, even when it's risky. It's a really interesting study that goes back many decades, actually six dec decades ago. In our country, in New York City, there was this story, and it, it made national news. There was a young lady named um, Kitty Genovis. And in New York City, some 60 years ago, she was brutally stabbed to death, molested, and murdered. It was in a neighborhood in New York City, and maybe some of you remember this. It was, you know, there was 38 people that witnessed it in some way. Either they heard something going on or they actually saw it. This was a long event. The, the, the murderer actually left the scene and then came back to finish what he had started. So that made national news back in the day, and America was shocked, and it made two young psychologists do a deep dive into why did nobody take responsibility? Why, did no, why didn't anybody step into that? If you study psychology, even today, there's what is sometimes called the bystander effect. 
Here's what it means. That if you were by yourself witnessing something, you'd probably step in and take responsibility. But if there's few other people, you'll probably hesitate because you're expecting what? Somebody else is going to do that. And they've actually done this study so that when five people are present in a situation, there's only a 31% chance that one of them will act because everybody's expecting the other person to do something. What does that have to do with us as fathers? I wonder if we hesitate to take full responsibility for our family and our children because we're expecting somebody else to take that responsibility. Who are we expecting? Well, we're expecting our wife to take responsibility. Or expecting the school to take responsibility. Or we're expecting the church should be responsible for my family. The youth staff, they should be responsible for my teenagers. And as I just said, the government is more than willing to take responsibility for your children. When you consider other people who could, then you kind of become the bystander, kind of watching as it happens instead of stepping in. Without a doubt, the schools and the government will step in to your responsibility if you abdicate it. We can't be bystanders. We cannot watch other people step into our role. We are the ones that have been given the responsibility for our families, in this context, particularly our children. One last thought. Very important word. Determination. Here's the last challenge. Guys, be determined. He says, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Now, I don't know how you read that last phrase there. To me, it sounds like it's a statement of determination. We will serve the Lord. We will do this thing. Taking responsibility is taxing work. It is tiring work. And it's risky work. Because we fail sometimes when we do it. And we cannot let our failures, men, don't let your failures in this area somehow stop your determination. Paul Harvey, a journalist, was once asked the secret of his success. He simply said, I get up when I fall down. You know, that's biblical, don't you? Proverbs 24 says, Do not lie in wait like an outlaw against a righteous man's house. Do not raid his dwelling place. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he what? He rises again. He kind of, because the righteous man will fall, he will stumble, he will err, he will fail at times. In our role as fathers, in our role as husbands, we will fail. And guys, we will sometimes fail miserably. We will make poor choices at times. We will get our priorities all out of whack. We will become very selfish because it's what we do so well. But when we take responsibility, it's expected that we will not always, we won't always get it right, but we will be determined to get up and continue the pursuit. So we can't ever quit wherever we're at in this season. We can't quit because we get tired. We can't quit because we made a mistake. We can't quit because there's resistance. 
we persevere. When we fall, we persevere and we get up and we keep at this task that God has given us, even if we don't understand how it needs to be in every season of life. It's interesting, if you're into sports, a baseball game has nine innings and soccer has a couple halves. Football games, there's four quarters. What's interesting about that, if you play the first quarter, even if you played it poorly, you move on to the second quarter, right? You finish the second quarter and there's halftime, and, and even if you're way behind at halftime, you still have to get back on the field and play the third quarter. Then when the third quarter is over, then comes the fourth quarter. Now here's the thing about the fourth quarter. It really doesn't matter at that moment how you played in the first, second, or third quarter. What matters is how you play in the fourth quarter, because that's a quarter you're in, right? So what's important now is how you play, how you live this out. It's interesting, if you watch sports, and I notice this particularly in the NBA, a team can be pitiful for three quarters and be way behind for any number of reasons, and then something happens. You guys ever seen this happen? It's like something happens, they come back on the fourth quarter, and they decide, hey, we should give it all we got. And it like catches the other team off guard. Like we've been dominating you for three quarters, but here's this new team. And it's amazing. It's happened many times. They, they come back in the fourth quarter and everybody's amazed. What's that called? It's just called determination. We did poorly in the first three quarters, but it's another quarter. Let's finish strong. Now, I have a number of quarters in my life. And I do wish I could go back and relive some of those quarters. I can't. Dads, neither can you. You can't go back and redo anything. That's done. But I have the fourth quarter. And I want to finish strong, and I, I know you guys do as well. Whatever quarter you're in, you want to finish this race strong. And the really good news about that, if we're followers of Jesus, is there's power within us to do that. Amen? We have this Holy Spirit that lives within us, that Jesus himself says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send this Holy Spirit and he's going to dwell you, he's going to give you what you need. It's interesting, Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation. It's like now we're, 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 we read that and it says, well, you didn't really need to tell us that, did you? That's obvious. That word tribulation Sometimes it's translated trouble, but the best translation of that word is, in this world you will have pressure. Guys, you ever feel pressure? You ever feel pressure just on you constantly? He says that's what to expect, and we know that. But I'm so glad he doesn't stop there, right? But be courageous, he says, be bold, be another way to translate that, because I have overcome the world, this world that is creating all this pressure on you, I've overcome it. So within Christ, there is the ability to live well and to live large as dads and as husbands in our lives. That happens as we keep him at the center. It, it happens when the gospel saturates our lives and we recognize that the sacrifice that Jesus made for us is not just something that gives us our forgiveness, but it gives us a whole new 
change of life. It gives us a transformation to live this life differently. All right, there's four words. Did you get them? Choice, example, responsibility, determination. Guys, we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to do something a little bit different today because you can deal with it, right? We're going to pray together as dads right now. And here's how I'd like to do it. And we'll need, I'm going to ask you to step down here in just a moment just to have a time of prayer. But I, I want it to be a visual that as we do this, that we're brothers in the Lord and we all have this desire, I, I think, I don't think there's any man in here that's a father that says, yeah, I just want to be a pitiful father. None of us are saying that. We're all saying we want to be good fathers, so let's pray to that end, right? So here's what I do right now, and maybe the musicians can come up right now. Um, if you're a, a father in the, fourth, in the first quarter, and what that means is you have, you have children in grade school. Come up and just stand right here. You have kids in grade school. Come on, guys. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out. You have kids in grade school. Just come and stand right here, okay? And then these guys in the second quarter, that's guys that have kids in um, middle school and high school. Oh, you guys are pulling your hair out, I know, okay? Middle schoolers or high schoolers, okay? Come up here. Guys, turn and face me, okay? Turn and face me. And then we have some guys that are here that have their kids um, in college, but they're still at home. Any of you guys there? Okay. And then we have the old guys. Maybe your grandpas, but you have kids, but they're on their own. You're enjoying grandparent life. Okay. This is the fourth quarter. Don't fall down as you come up, guys. All right. I say that because I'm one of you. All right. Here's what I want you to do. You're standing next to somebody. Just put, put your hand on their shoulder. You don't have to hold hands. It's just kind of a shoulder thing. All right. All right. Guys, we're in this together, and I don't know where you're at uh, in a relationship with your kids right now, but uh, now's the time to just make that choice that whatever it is right now, you're going to just do your best by the grace of God and his strength in you to continue to live this out. Okay? Putting Jesus on the throne of your life so that they'll see what that looks like for Jesus to be on the throne of their life. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for these men. Lord, I'm thankful for men here that uh, you've called to follow you, first of all. These are men that as I see them, Father, they seek you and, and they seek to follow you. Lord, that's our desire and we recognize and we confess um, that we have failed. We have not done well in all the things that you've called us to do. And, and the beauty of that, Father, is you knew that already. <laughs> so even as I confess that, you know that. So I'm so thankful there's forgiveness. I'm so thankful there's uh, the ability by the Holy Spirit to get up and to move ahead in our relationship as husbands and our relationship with our children as fathers. So, Father, I'm just going to ask you to bless these guys. Lord, I pray that this day that they have where they're recognized, that they would soak it in, and then as they soak it in, just pour it out to their wives and to their children. They would men that, that are blessed and then are a blessing.
So, Father, we commit ourselves to you for your glory, for things that are eternal. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name.